Hello everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Realm, a rereader's podcast of the Realm of the Elderling series by Robin Hobb. I'm Caillou, here with Alex and Leah, and today we're going to be starting Madship. We took a little hiatus in the middle there, do some life stuff, but we're excited to get back on track and continuing with Lifeship Traders. Especially because, like I always say, I think the middle books in these trilogies are always the best ones. So, I'm here for it. Madship is definitely, I think, my favorite out of this trilogy, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think so too, but sometimes every time I reread something, my favorite changes, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. It's nice that it can do that, that all of these books are so good that you can have your favorite change, and it's not like some huge controversial thing, like, oh my god, that one actually sucks, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, no. So yeah, um, before we get into it, this is a rereader's podcast for the whole series, and not just this trilogy, but the full Realm of the Elderling cycle, whatever you want to call it. So if you haven't read uh, all 16 books in the series and you care about spoilers for them, click off now. Otherwise, let's get into it. So let's start with the prologue, A Recollection of Wings. We're back to these uh, pesky serpents. we have a little bit more context for what they are now, but still don't quite know what's going on with them. And they're still being mysterious and cryptic as shit. There's one line that, um, I don't remember who says it or if anyone even says it, but it's the earth, the sky, and the sea. The three parts of their, I don't know how to say that word because I've only ever read it. Sovereignty? I've only ever read it. I've never heard somebody say it, I think. Um... But that's like a big time serpent to dragon clue. Definitely. Also, I totally empathize with the only ever like read it and not seen it. I always used to think like Duchess was pronounced Duchess because oh, yeah. I'd only. I was like, it just makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think uh, if you watch our not live show, for the last book, uh, Jared was heavily picking up on clues that the dragons and serpents are like one and the same. And like, I'm like, I was like super shocked, but then like, I'm reading some of this and I'm like, they're really laying it on thick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty obvious at this point. And if it's not, then I think later on in this section, I think in chapter three, it becomes a little bit more clear that like there are actual dragons um when like rain visits tentaglia for sure mm-hmm. yeah for me like they're talking about how like the archways and whatever are made out of black stone veined with silver and i'm like skill stone skill stone mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and that's another thing that I wondered if the rereaders, or not the first-time readers, would pick up on, because that's a pretty important part of the ending of Barsir. So, well, I definitely but, didn't on my first read. <laughs> I wonder if Julia will. I feel like she's very attentive, so she might. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My only other comment for this chapter was. The serpents refer to them as elderkind in this set chapter, when everywhere else I think they refer to them as elderlings. So 
that was I, I, I didn't know if that was like it just was like a weird thing because I never remembered that term being used basically yeah I don't either yeah same but maybe it's kind of like them saying elder kind it's more like relating them to like closer to them and then elderlings being like what the dragons would call them because they're like little elders you know yeah oh, i, I feel like the the lings like or whatever. yeah yeah <clears throat> my only note was i it like took me this long to realize that if the world had continued on the path that it was on, that, like, Claris and everything like that wanted it to be, that all the dragons would be gone for real, and, like, there would be no hope for them. Like, it took me this long into reading that I'm like, yeah, okay, wait, it's actually hitting me. Because, like, even when there weren't any dragons, we were like, oh, well, at least there are still the serpents, but all the serpents are now becoming these, like, mindless animals and really forgetting who they are. And if the fool hadn't set the world on this path and like helped out a little bit, then all of the serpents would have become like the tangle that Malkin and his tangle like met up with and like had to fight. And then dragons would be lost for real. And there would be like no hope of them ever coming back. So it's really like kind of wild to think about. And it's also wild that, like, it took me this long to realize it and, like, for it to set in. It's that whole thing of, like, what one person's impact can do. Mm -hmm. they, they lay it on thick, I think, later on in this book with, like, Brashen as well. Brashen being like, what's the, po what's the point? We can't do, really do anything. And then Amber comes in. I remember this because I was, I was looking back through, I had a bunch of notes of, like, and when I first read this book of like moments that Amber sort of like lets slip that they're the fool a little bit. And one of those is like in a conversation with Brash. And Ooh, I'm excited to get to that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Brashen reminds Amber of Burrich too. <laughs> Maybe even a little bit of Fitz. Just like, yeah. stop, stop eating the bad drug. Like, come on now. <laughs> I know. Stop wallowing in self-pity. Like, stop, stop. We have a world to save. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Let's get into chapter one of, actual chapter one of the book. The Mad Ship. Hey, it's the same as the title of the book. Hey, it's also the name of uh, one of our characters, Paragon. This chapter uh, opens up on a conversation between Paragon and Amber. Um, and then I think that's, yeah, I think that's the whole of the chapter. It's just sort of like a dialogue between the two. Also, excuse me if these summaries are a little bit scuffed. I read this like a month ago uh, mm -hmm. and did my notes then. So it's, it's still jogging it a little bit. Please. <laughs> That's all right. I read it literally yesterday and can't tell you what happens in both chapters, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. This conversation um, was one in which 
Amber was reminding me a lot of the fool, the fool, like the stubborn nature. And then, um, there's one part where she says, I have a keen ear for rumor and gossip more than once. It's kept me alive. And that reminded me of like in the fool because they basically operate solely on rumor and gossip when making all of their decisions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a line too that reminded me of something that the fool would say to Fitz. Um, and it's Amber and she says, can't you see I'm the only one who can save you? Like that screams a line that she has said to Fitz or will say to Fitz. Like that's definitely something that has been repeated and will continue to be repeated. It's also really interesting because I think that if you're reading this for the first time, you could be like, that's sus. That's kind of like not a thing that you're supposed to say. And like, I feel like it could like lead to people mistrusting Amber. But it's just like, from what we know of the Amber and being the fool, they're just, they're so open that like, that that's just them being honest. Like, yeah, yeah I think I genuinely think I'm the only one who can save you. Like, it's not on. cockiness or anything weird like that. It's like, I've seen all the outcomes and there's only ones that I save you. Yep. But yeah, this book, uh, I forgot it started off so dark. I kind of just remembered it as like, I just remember the start of this book as like, Brashen comes home and is chilling. But no, it's like, Paragon's <laughs> like, kill me? Let me die? And it's like, God damn, dude, come on now. Yeah, it's definitely rough. But it does remind me kind of of, like, Fitz a little bit. Mm. Yeah, the beginning of this book is really just, like, um, amputation and euthanasia. Yes. <laughs> Not well, in that order, but... Right. <laughs> um, and yet, it really does feel like the fool spends a lot of their life just being like, no, don't, don't die. I need you alive, both because you're a cool person, but also because the world itself will perish. <laughs> so, like, let's... Plans. Yeah, an another line in that vein that, like, hit me was uh, Paragon thinking to himself that he should try new things while he still could. It might not be much longer before his chances to experience new things are gone forever. And, like... There's something, like, existential horror-wise of the idea of, like, oh, no, you'll still be living. You just won't get to experience new things ever again. Yeah. Because you'll just be carted off into sl essentially slavery. Yeah, that's... Or Paragon. I feel so bad, and it's so sad seeing the hope that he felt at the beginning when he's like, oh, see, my family would never sell me. And it's like, no, they definitely will. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready for the scene where, uh, like, whatever her name is, Ludluck, comes and, like, tries to talk to him. I just remember that. I don't remember, if, like, when that happens, but I remember that being painful. I, all I remember about, like, the names of the Ludlucks is that one of them's name is Amos, but I listened to the audiobooks, and when they first said it, I 
legit thought someone was named Anus. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, why, Robin Hobb? (laughs) Did you name a character Anus Ludluck? (laughs) That's another real asshole. That should have been Kyle. (laughs) It's foreshadowing that Kenneth is from that family, yeah. I read it as a miss at first. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always read it as like, like pronounced as like, you're doing lay miz, but then you take out like the lay. So it's just a miz. <laughs> that's good too. Amos. That's better than anus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Low bar. Low bar. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Okay, speaking of Kenneth, though, be good to move to the next chapter? Yes. Um, I have one more note, and it's just about, like, the end of this chapter, because I thought it was very interesting that this one's Mad Ship, and the next one's Pirate's Leg, and it goes from a whole Paragon chapter to a whole Kenneth chapter. Ooh, I missed that this time. Mm -hmm. Wow. And there's also, like, yeah, there is the euthanasia component you talk about euthanasia and amputation but there's also sort of like the aspect of like Kenneth wanting to die or being scared maybe not wanting to die but he's being he's scared of death but he's also sort of like i don't like this pain mm-hmm. okay get it away from me but yeah uh chapter two pirate's leg um the pirate in question is Kenneth, and the leg in question is gone uh, he got chopped off by chomped off by a serpent last book, and he's it got infected, and he's a stubborn asshole and won't let anyone actually take care of it. And by take care of it, we mean chop it off so that the infection doesn't spread. Um, and Wintro, who uh, is now uh, with Kenneth because of the whole shenanigans of Kenneth taking over Vivacia at the end of last book is basically trying to nurse him back to health, understanding that if Kenneth dies, he's going to die too. I definitely went into this chapter thinking that this is where the amputation happens just because it's called the pirate's leg. And I was like, building it up in my head, and then I'm like, it never happened. And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) Feels fake. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was kind of on the opposite end, where, and where I was surprised that this was happening so early into the book, because I kind of, I kind of remember Kenneth suffering a lot more with the leg. But I think what it was actually is that I sort of like shifted where stuff happened in the books. Like I thought his leg got chomped off later in the first book. And then I think I, I thought it got amputated towards the middle of this book, but it's just that it gets chomped off earlier, so the whole timeline shifts. Yeah. There's, like, a lot of recovery time. Mm-hmm. And then he's, like, back to doing shit in this book still. So there's, like, a lot of middle ground we have to cover where he's, like, on the verge of death. Yeah, what happens is Bolt healing him, like, with the skill healing 
because of his leg or does he get something else that happens? Because I was so confused. I'm like, when is Bolt coming out and they do the skill healing together? Something happens with the serpents that like freaks Vivacia out enough that Bolt comes out, I think. Or there's like some... There's some traumatic event. I don't remember if it's with serpents or, like, a bunch of people dying on her deck again or a combination of the two. But something happens that, like, brings Bolt out. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. Serpent thing. I think the and healing thing might not be on Kenneth. It might be on Wintrow, right? Because when Wintrow gets... Uh, oh, he, like, when he, he falls on top of the serpent and, like, burns his whole body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That has to be Vivacia, because Bolt wouldn't save Wintro, would she? I don't think so. Well, y'all are talking about Bolt involved in some skill healing. I just don't, I don't remember that at all, but the only possible healing mm-hmm. I can think of is that. Well, Bolt and Wintro and the ship i don't i think that it's bolt because she's like i can show you things i can teach you to do things that like all these other and like something happens to kenneth and he's like in the stateroom or whatever and bolt is like i think it's bolt because she's like the dragon and like they know how to heal and like they shape their elderlings so she like shows or like guides wintro through skill healing kenneth but I just don't remember what happens to Kenneth to make him need the skill healing. Yeah, Probably. like I feel like I'd remember him losing I another vaguely limb. I remember whatever. it. Right. I don't know if he like he can't get stabbed or something weird like that. Like I have no freaking clue. So I was just assuming that it was something with his leg, and I'm like waiting for Bolt to come out and like fix the leg already. But like it's not happening. There's but we're lot. four chapters in, so I'm like expecting <laughs> the whole action to be like in this section. I remember there being, like, a long section where Kenneth's basically useless and Wintro's, like, worrying about whether he's gonna live or not. That, let's be honest, Kenneth's pretty much always useless. So, you yeah, know, hard true. to tell. That's true. <laughs> the one useful thing he did was, like, stash Kyle away. I can't wait for that to happen. I'm so excited. I'm ready. He is such a fucking dick. I hate him. Mm-hmm. He's just so rude and entitled and barking orders at Wintrow to, like, get him food. Like, are you kidding me? You are a prisoner and your son is doing this out of the goodness of his heart. If you're like this to him, he might ju- just decide not to bring you food. And then you'll starve. Yeah, Kyle literally, like... There is nothing that Wintro could do that would be good enough. Like, he'll yell at him for doing one thing, but if he did a different thing, he'd yell at him. Like, he can't... Wintro can't The only win. thing, like, Kyle would be proud of him for doing is if he single-handedly killed every single pirate, and then, like, the, knelt for him and went, like, Kyle, my father, I give you the ship back. Yeah, and even yeah. then he'd probably be like, well, you shouldn't have even let them take it in the first place. And he'd be mad because Wintro didn't turn Vivacia to, like, love Kyle. Right. He'd be, like, crying and moping and throwing a tantrum that Vivacia doesn't love him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
feel like Wintra was trying to suppress his emotions a lot in this chapter, and I was like, don't let toxic masculinity win. Yeah. It's yeah, it's so frustrating to see like Wintro like make good decisions at some points and then like two steps back. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, talking of emotional intelligence TM, um one of the quotes I had from the chapter was uh Wintro thinking about uh, thinking back to Bernadal, and he's like, Bernadal used to say that one way to disperse fear and create decision was to consider the worst possible outcome of one's actions. And like, this was interesting because I feel like this is the type of thing that I've heard in like cognitive behavioral therapy. So I'm just thinking like, Bernadal out here, just like a 15th century therapist getting <laughs> shit done. Um. And yeah, also, like, Wintrow's like, I scarce know who or what I am anymore. He boy is going through an identity crisis. Yeah, truly. Like, I feel like there's a... The first book, he's a priest. This book, it's like, he's confused about what he is. And then the last book, he really comes into his own as, like, a sailor. And a vestry. And also a pirate. Like, he accepts yeah. the pirate life pretty easily enough. Like... Yeah. He doesn't wow. even end okay. up being king of the pirate isles until yeah, he, like, did, like him and, yeah, him and Edda get together, right? No, Edda he like pines after Edda forever, and like she's like Kenneth has my heart forever, so I can never love again. I think okay. they might end up together at the very end. No, I'm pretty sure they don't because I, think I know because I know that she's the queen of the pirate isles. Like, yeah. and he yeah. ends up... He's her advisor, I, I don't know, like, they might just be, like, business partners, but I, I don't know. I think Let's he's see. just kind of her advisor, and that, like, Kenneth's baby is the one. He's, like, like the regent or whatever for, like, until the baby grows up, I think. have regents. Do pirates do regency? I think they, they do. Their, their kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. But it's also frustrating because, like, it's not, like, Winfrey was a priest last book, but he was also coming into being a sailor, right? It's sort of, like, it's not, like, a, a linear upwards or, like, curve from, like, pirate to, uh, priest to pirate. It's sort of, like, yes. which is why it's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a, like, a will-he-won't-he moment. But it makes sense why it's like that, because Amber does say that Wintro and all of the Vestrites, I think, can kind of look at their fate and decide against it and, like, push against the tides of fate. And that's why she's so drawn to them in the first place. I so it makes like sense why Wintro is, like, fighting his destiny of becoming, like, a sailor and then eventually a pirate. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's also just how life is like you don't just go from one thing to another thing there's like a long wishy-washy time where you're thinking about it and like a transitionary period until it's realistic anywhere and yeah yeah it's realistic which makes it relatable which makes it acutely frustrating right it's mm -hmm. annoying like you get to a point where you're like you're not gonna be a priest just 
stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah. I think all of my other notes were about Kenneth's charm for this chapter. I have two notes only. And my first, yeah, so my first one is Wintro saying, I have little say in anything that happens aboard you anymore, talking to Vivacia, acting like he had very much say in the first place. Like, he never had anything. Like, being just a a little possessive, just a little, just a lot. He also never had any say. Like, Kyle would never have listened to him. The sailors didn't respect him at the end. So, like, you don't have any say. You never had any say. It's fine. It's going to end up fine, and you're just going to go along with it like you always do. Sam. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. He deserves it. Um, He also says, like, right before that, I must watch Kenneth take you away from me. And it's like, no, bro. Like, just, Kenneth's not taking anyone from anyone. You're just... Well, and Wintra was, like, never nice to her in the first place. It's like that partner that's like never nice to you and then when you finally break up with them and get with somebody else they're like but what about me it's like you never cared you were never nice you you, you, you didn't care until i was interested in someone else yeah Yeah, exactly yeah that's exactly how intro is right now and if he's so worried why doesn't he try and charm vivacia like why doesn't he fight back with the same way, I, that I, I think he knows my patient knows him too well, and is already like, yeah. <laughs> it'd be fake. little whiny dipshit. Yeah. That ship has sailed, pun intended. Mm-hmm. But like, I Windrow could be doing something. He doesn't just have. He could just be like, he could be like, talking and being like, "Hey, Kenneth said so and so and so thing. I don't trust him." Like, he's his thing of like, it's he's always like, "I'm so helpless." Ugh. Mm-hmm. Or just like you don't even have to say anything directly against Kenneth. Just like just step up to be a leader, and like they'll make Vivacia respect you. Yep. Anyways, the the charm. Tell us about the, Tell us all. Um. Well, I kind of got the sense that, like, I I think a lot of the wizard wood objects don't know that they're supposed to be a dragon because of like the familial blood waking them up and whatever but the charm i feel like might know and it definitely knows yeah and it keeps like trying to communicate with vivacia in a sense or like taunt her and asks her who are you and i think it's trying to like wake vivacia up to that reality as well that's Uh, exactly what i put too yeah yep like trying to bring out bolt and then also my other thing was the way that vivacia and the charm communicate reminded me a lot of the skill um especially when vivacia refers to it as invading her mind i feel like that's the way that fits compared serene and justin or will with the skill and what they would do to him like invading his mind the similarities and descriptions kind of struck me and she pushes him away and it's so easy for her because she's so much bigger that's definitely like the skill 
Yep. It's interesting that, like, the size of the piece of wizard wood matters. That, like, because they seem to contain, like, equal consciousnesses. But there is, but it's like the more wizard wood it's made out of, the more power it has. The, I wonder if it, it still seems to have like a coherent piece of the dragon in it. Right. I wonder if it's like that's more dragon material. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Well, it's got, I think it's got like more of the like memories and stuff in it. Cause yeah. don't we? Older dragons help to form the cocoons. Yep. So it's like a mix of the old dragons and like the ones who would have been. So like more ancestral memories to him. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. I'm just so confused about the charm's motivations, honestly. Because like I know. Aunt, Me too. Like why is why does it care so much about Edda? Like, like I can't tell what it, like is the message supposed to be that like it is Kenneth. Kenneth hates himself, and therefore like it cares about helping Edda because that screws over the actual Kenneth. Is it supposed to be that actual Kenneth genuinely cares about Edda somewhere deep down? That seems fake as hell. But, like, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, what are you doing, funky little woodman? Like, what is your plan? (laughs) I don't get it either, and it bugs me because I do not remember getting an answer to that in this trilogy. Like, maybe we'll get one that I don't remember. I just remember, like, third book, the charm's like, you're going to your destiny, Kenneth. Destiny approaches. Ooh, destiny. And I'm like, fucking give us something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember either at all. I think that the charm has his own motivations, and I think it's more like the dragon inside the charm than it is like Kenneth. But the charm obviously knows all of Kenneth just because it's attached to him and like looks like him and stuff like that, but it's mostly, like, the little dragon talking. But why would the dragon care about Edda? Maybe that's... That would have... He would, like, want her to be his elderling or something like that, so he's like, she's mine. <laughs> and he's an attachment to her. Or he, like, knows. He, if he knows, like, all that's going to happen to Kenneth already he knows that she's important to like bringing the pirate isles together and ultimately like bringing dragons back or something like that like maybe he knows but how but how would the charm have that much prescience is my thing i don't freaking know he's a charm he's just a fucking he's just a fucking dragon in a in a in a piece of wood yeah Dragons don't have those powers. We know dragons. Dragons are losers. Don't let them hear that. They'll definitely eat you. Uh-huh. Um. Oh, yeah. My, I guess my other comments on this chapter are just like, 
we we had like what is the opposite of appreciation? I don't know. I don't know what the word for that is. Dis- well, we had the opposite of appreciation for Wintrow, and now I'm having Wintrow Appreciation Hour. Where like, oh yeah, we were hard on him. Yeah, no, no, he deserved it. But I, I like how Wintrow manipulates the situation against Sadar when Sadar corners him outside of Kyle's cabin, and it's like, what are you planning? You, where's the like? I don't remember what the specific thing was, but Sadar was basically like trying to get the one up on him and be like, yeah, you're like the captain's son. We shouldn't trust you. Um, and meanwhile, Wintro just makes Sadar look like a lout, a fool. Like, even if Wintro doesn't feel it, he's definitely grown in being able to, like, handle social situations and people. Yeah, I noticed that in this whole section, like, he's better about talking to Sadar, and then when he's talking to Brig as well in the last chapter he like thinks about what he's gonna say to get what he wants like he's getting better at manipulating the situation to his benefit i love the example that it's that he's thinking before he's talking thank god we've reached (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i noticed something similar like that when he's with kenneth he like assesses the situation and realizes how dangerous it is for him to be around Kenneth when Kenneth's being so vulnerable and he's like, I need to sneak away or he will have me killed. And like, he realizes that so, so quickly. And it was very, it was very refreshing to get that because I feel like our fits would not be like that. Yeah. I guess the way I see it is like, Wintro always like had this type of like, like pot process for like macro level stuff like what he wants to do with his life philosophy and whatever but he never like got like micro level interactions and he's starting to like apply the same like chain of logic to those it's like yes every situation is important Mm -hmm. um oh yeah also looping back around to the charm uh the charm says at one point oh talking to kenneth about wintro do you desire him would you do as you were done by and i'm like oh they just say it outright at this point oh no you can like yeah i picked up on that too i was like oh they just tell you outright And none of our first-time readers picked up on it. I guess it's a smaller thing and it's not noticeable on the first read because you're, like, so focused on the dragons and the serpents and trying to figure that stuff out that you don't see the smaller... And you also, like, we don't quite, like... At this point, like, there's, like, mentions of Egrot, but I don't think that, like, you can... I think that you'd have to be pretty sharp to, like, put together all the pieces with, like, Kenneth and Egrod and all of that. So it's just yeah. sort of, like, done by? By whom? Okay, I'm moving over. It's also just such, like, a horrible thing to consider, right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it's one of those things where, like, even if someone thought about it, you probably wouldn't, like, say it as a prediction or, like, hold yeah. on to it just because it's, like, nah, that's so out there. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Mm-hmm. And like maybe not even out there because we 
we already talked about like Brashen being molested and Althea being molested in the first book, but like still not something you want to think about. Mm-hmm. Not for poor Wingtro. Mm-hmm. There's another clue when um in the next chapter when Kenneth's like passed out. I think it might be after they cut his leg, but it might be before, I don't know. What um, is that? When he's like talking, he's like, Please, I'll be good. I'll I'll listen, I'll obey, please. It's yeah. like Ooh. Yeah. It's rough. It's also interesting, I'm just drawing now, like, how Paragon acts at the beginning of chapter one, and he's acting like a little kid, and then at the end of chapter two, Kenneth is kind of showing some of those signs of being, like, a little kid, too. Mm. They, like, mirror each other. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. It's crazy to see, like, how much, like, the ordering of chapters matters, like, on a reread. On the first time, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we're going back to this character. But, like, everything flows. There's always a purpose to where things are placed. And you cannot just skip ahead to read the next Kenneth section when you think he's dead to see if he actually dies. Because you miss (laughs) way too much. Also, I, like, skipped ahead to see, like, how long it took until we get a Kenneth section again. And it's it goes from chapter four to, I think, chapter eight. Like, the beginning of chapter eight is when Wintro is back and they are, like, talking about how he's, like, dead and, like, not breathing. They really so, click. They really click back. Yes. Yeah. And it takes forever, too. You're, like, reading boring sections. It's, like, Malta. And I think, like, Althea has a long-ass chapter. And it's, like, you're, like, where is Kenneth? Is he actually dead? <laughs> Disrespect. I thought I thought we were a Malta liking household here. Look, we do, but Malta's life at the current stage it's in is not very exciting. Right. Compared to the other Vestrites' lives. Mm. Yeah. Until we get bring it, then it is exciting. Mm. Too exciting. Yeah. My last note was just like the last uh, line of this chapter where Winter is talking to Kenneth and he's like, uh, he's talking about like the process of the amputation. He's like, I'll have your life in my hands. And then Kenneth's like, wow, yeah, that's, he, he says some bullshit about how like you must love that or whatever. And then uh, Winter's like, that's not what I mean. You're doubtless accustomed to such power. I have never even wished for it. And that felt like such a fits line to me. Like that's mm-hmm. the. Especially at the uh, at the end of uh, Tawny Man, where they're like, you should become king. And Fitz is like, what the fuck? I never wanted to be king. And it's like, and Shade's like, that's why you'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and even and just like Fitz, even though they don't realize it, they, they do have that little bit of ambition, both of them. We definitely saw it come out in, I think, Royal Assassin, when he's like... Is that when? Yeah, that's when he comes back from the Mountain Kingdom and he like orders the guards about. We definitely see that he would be good 
And Wintrow shows here in this chapter and in the actual amputation, he shows a lot of good authority. And then he ends up actually like gaining some of that power. And it's, it's probably like Fitz that it, it's good that he has it because he never wanted it in the first place. So he's not going to abuse it. Can you imagine if Wintrow and Fitz like joined powers? Joined forces. Joined forces. They would either be like unstoppable or they would be like cave people. Like they would just live in a hut and like. Oh, in between. <laughs> There's no middle ground. Yeah. Definitely. Is there like. Do they actually end up meeting in like the live ship and whatever crossover near the end of the series? I think they do at the very end. And it's like briefly or something like that. And it's more like Wintro talking to Althea or something. Okay. Definitely. Like, we've been talking so much about, like, Wintro and Fitz meeting up. I need someone to write a fic of this, please. <laughs> if, if any of our listeners are, like, ling- linguistically inclined, I don't know if that's the right word, writingly inclined, <laughs> you can see why I'm not doing it myself. Writingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, like... If you'd end up writing that, tag, tag us in it, please. Tag us. Yep. We will use that and read that at the end, and we'll discuss it as an episode. Hell yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's all I had to say for this chapter. Do we have anything else? Nope, not for me. Okay, next up is chapter three, The Crowned Rooster. Okay, so this is basically... Uh, a rain-focused chapter. I think this is the first rain rain POV chapter. We're yes. in the rain wilds in an elderling ruin, and it's basically centered around a conversation between Rain and his mother. And we get a lot more insight into the Cooperses and the rain wilds than we basically ever have. They've been super mysterious, and now we get like a lot more. These are actual people kind of context. Also, when I first saw this chapter's name and I first read this chapter, I freaked the fuck out because I was like, do we get more context for the rooster crown? Because I'm because I'm coming from uh, Tawny Man when like that is the MacGuffin that saves the entire series. So I was like, oh, do we get to hear a little bit more about his history? And it, not really. It's just some fucking mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, one thing this chapter reminded me of is, like, did, have you guys ever heard about how um, in the Victorian era, Europeans would go to Egypt or, like, buy mummies at auctions, and then they would have, like, parties with all their other rich friends and unwrap them together, and then they'd, like, mm-hmm. grind they'd like grind up their bones and eat it for, like, because they thought okay. it would become, like, live forever or whatever. Ooh. Oh There's no God. way that's real. Really? That's real. I that saw it in that's a documentary. So macabre. Yeah. That is for sure something I could picture Victorian, Victorian era. Victorian era gods were all yeah. out. Yeah. No, that's like the Victorian era equivalent of like the Tumblr kids who go grave robbing or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, this the way that the Rainwilders will just like go into the old elderling cities and like loot stuff and then sell it. Or, like, 
we know there's creatures in these wizard with logs, but when we make a ship out of it, it's expensive. So let's do it anyways. Like, it's like it's they're probably dead. Me. And if you can hear it talking to you, don't it's listen. It's just a memory. <laughs> yeah. It was giving me Victorian um, mummy eater vibes. <laughs> I can totally see that. How many monsters can we compare the Cooperses to? Vampires, <laughs> Victorian mummy eaters, you know. It's definitely rough hearing about like what they did to the like cocoon dragons. Mm-hmm. And it gets even worse later on. Like I know that they talk about how it like the like bodies slide out and stuff like oof. It's yeah. awful. It's it's a miracle that like Tintaglia doesn't come back and just raise the entire rainwilds to the ground. For sure. We're, they are so lucky that dragons have kind of like mellowed out memories at sometimes <laughs> that they like mm-hmm. don't care. Well, I feel like their anger gets a little bit misplaced because they get really mad at like the traitor families that have the ships. But I don't think that the people buying the ships knew what was going on to make the ships. Like, I think mm-hmm. that was a very well-kept Rainwild secret. I don't Dragons think they are very smart about that sort of thing, though. They're like, well, yeah, I know, so you should have known. This is common knowledge. Come on. Yeah, They're not good at that whole empathy thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's super true. I forgot about that. <laughs> Um, one of the first things that happens in this chapter is, like, Johnny calling Rain, like, young. And I think that's probably the first time that we realize that Rain is still, like, actually a kid and not, like, a 30-year-old, like, vampire child. Like, it's another one of those fun, like, Hobbs not telling us their age, so we kind of just have to infer from, like, what's going on. And all of a sudden they, like, de-age 20 years from a single line. (laughs) Yeah, that's Burrich. (laughs) And Shade. Yeah. I just thought it was... I drew some ties between Johnny and Ronica and kind of how they, like, run their family. And they... It's very much matriarchal for both of them. And it's also, like, they both kind of desire like control over their family and like I have this plan so you're going to follow this plan and this is how we're going to do it it's just they have two very different ways of going about it like Johnny is much more like smooth and subtle like she steers Rain in the direction that she wants him to go but doesn't like force him but she does it with like distraction and like then eventually like I'm your mom, this is what you're going to do right now. And, like, making sure that it's not seen as a question or any way that you can get out of it. While Ronica is very direct and kind of, you do what I say or else. And that clearly does not work very well for her family. And, like, uh, speaking of her family, I love Rain being, like, Malta is a woman who enjoys mystery and intrigue. And it's, like, true. And then... (laughs) He goes on to say, I think that was what first attracted her to me. And it's like, no. No. It no. was your money. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Oh, well, not yet. At some point, that will be the thing. But no, she does. She doesn't. She doesn't like you, homeboy. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say. She thinks you're warty underneath your veil. Mm-hmm. Isn't it a good thing that unlike the other people, he's like soft, deformed, and actually kind of hot? Isn't that great? Otherwise, this wouldn't be a good love story. <laughs> Thank you, Robin Hobb, for, for <laughs> these great messaging. <laughs> Uh, yeah, fortunately, fixes that a little bit in Rainwilds. My God. <laughs> yeah. There was one line that when I read it, I was just like, this is so painfully obvious that the wizard logs are cocoons. Because Rain says he's kind of like challenging his mom about like walking away. He's like, well, why don't you just let me bring it out into the sun? And then if no dragon queen hatches from the log then I was wrong. It's like, so we know that it's like an egg or a cocoon or something, you know? Yeah. Like, Rain straight up says, it's not a log, and we both know it. Mm-hmm. Did Jared Which, pick like, up- again, I feel, I need to go back and read, because I feel like my note literally here is, like, Jared is losing his shit somewhere in the distance, because, like- I don't think that he did. I'm scrolling think- back. That whole thing. That's why I'm like, how do you miss this? Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny because, like, Jared's like, I'm not so sure about my wizardwood dragon serpent theory. Meanwhile, we're like, this is so funny. They're, they're laying it on thick right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're like, this is the well, most he, thing in the world. How is he connecting the amber fool dots, but not the wizardwood log dragon dots? Well, he connected them and then he just unconnected them. I think yeah. it's really, we have to. Shout out to Assassin's Quest and the Stone Dragons for just, like, schmixing him, I guess. Well, also Julia. Julia was like, no way. Amber is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I cannot say anything in this chat. Yeah. <laughs> That's why anything. I don't say anything. I, it is not safe for me to speak at all, so like, I don't say anything. Sometimes I just want to put the eye emojis, but then I feel like that's even too much. Clearly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's also like, it's, but like, it's a fine line to ride because if you say nothing, then it's it's like, hmm, suspicious cricket chirping. Right. I think at one point I just put like interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Those are certainly thoughts. Right. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> you got some generic Gmail like autofill replies. Yeah. I also think that despite Johnny being like manipulative of Rain for sure, she definitely like I feel like respects Rain more than uh, Ronica respects Malta. And I think that interesting parallel is like the Johnny being like, you are still young. Rain being like, if you, if you mean stupid, say stupid. No, I meant young. Like, it, it, she feels like she's mostly honest throughout everything she's saying here. There's definitely, there's definitely some little minor lie or lies or manipulations there which are not great but for the most part she's just sort of straight up with him 
Yeah, I think Ronica is becoming more like Johnny with Rain with Kefria than Malta for sure. Like she definitely has zero respect or anything kind. She also like doesn't Malta. think of Malta as young. She has like these weird things where it's like she's like Malta is young, but also Malta is like this cougar predator yeah. or whatever. And it's yeah. like very weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess my last note is just I lo- I love this chapter. I think it might be my favorite chapter of the section just because like it really like humanizes and contextualizes the Rainwilds people because the whole first book it's like whoa they're like these crazy people who live up the river and have magic, but. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they're just regular people, and they're just coping with a shitty hand that was has been dealt to them within the ways that they know best. That's like pulling back the veil, literally and figuratively, because mm-hmm. we see a little bit more of like what they look like and how things can vary based on their appearances and like where how they live and their family structures a little bit. So it, I remember, like, this time I, I wasn't as interested just because I know all that stuff now. But I remember on my first read being really excited that we were going to get, like, a POV of a Rainwilder because they were just shrouded in so much mystery that it was really intriguing. Yeah, and I think that... I guess I, I was just thinking about this now. Like, it sort of feels like there's maybe an interesting commentary there on like how minority groups play into stereotypes into as a in a as a way to like like i guess play like play nice with like majority groups because like there's a whole thing of like i feel like the rainwilders really like lean into the we are mysterious we wear veils and like all of that and it feels like lots of that is just like To like keep the Bing Towners like afraid and like reverent of them, yeah. And it's like, well, we're actually just people, but like, if we just act like people, they won't accept that. So let's lean into their perception of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so we good to move to the last chapter here. Yep. I think so. Okay, so this is chapter four, Bonds. Um, We're back to Kyle and Wintrow, and oh boy, is it a problem. Um, Basically, they're like, okay, if we don't cut cut off Kenneth's leg now, we're never going to get to cut off his leg because it's going to be dead. So they get... so. Etta procures the medicine box uh, through basically the ways that only she can, uh, which is being menacing as all hell. Um, <laughs> and Vivacia and Wintrow settle down for some tumultuous and uh, super risky skill healing. Mm-hmm. When um, Etta 
goes to get the ch the medicine box the, and there's that whole like basically pissing match between her and Sa'adar. The charm, I think it's the charm because Wintro turns back to Kenna and he's still like passed out. Um, but it says like Etta, Wintro wonders why Etta doesn't just kill Sa'adar and the charm says something about like she likes to take her time and kill in private. And, it's like, <laughs> yeah, sadist. But um, I was wondering, like, how does the charm know what Wintro's thinking? Is the awareness between the charm and Kennet, and then Kennet and Vivacia, and then Vivacia and Wintro, like, strong enough that the charm on this side can, like, sense Wintro's thoughts on this side? Well, is Wintro touching Kennet at that point? Because it could be, like, straight, like, the charm from Kennet into Wintro. If they're, oh. like, if they've well, got, we, like, we also know the charm is strong enough to, like, push its way into Vivacious mind. It gets pushed back out, like, right afterwards. But I could totally see the charm being, like, I'm going to skill in here. Yeah. What are you thinking, Priest Boy? <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think also that the charm is... Like, the reason the charm is so nice to Etta is because it reminds him of, like, female dragon, like the dragon queens. And Honestly, like, a really oh, good theory. Yeah, oh, so yeah. And so he's like, oh, wait, I actually really like her. Like, because mm -hmm. she is ruthless and stuff, like, she definitely has some big dragon energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is also, like, why I hate the animosity between Vivacia and Edda. I'm like, just be, just, just be friends. Right. Like. I actually kind of like it. Like, it definitely makes sense why they're both like that. Especially if Edda does have, like, some dragon qualities and tendencies. Like, it makes sense that they would be fighting for, like, dominance over the male. Right. It's very territorial. I'm just, I'm just like, I want everyone to get along. <laughs> and what, it makes me wonder if this series would pass the Bechdel test. Bechdel test. Yeah. I don't know that it would. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I don't remember. I think it probably does at a few points, but also I think that like... Maybe like when Ronica and Kefria are talking or something. Mm-hmm. When they're they talking about Malta, it does. Yeah. And yeah. They, they definitely just, like, talk about finances at times. But Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah, I think that, like, the Bechdel test is sort of, like, good as, like, a quick litmus test. But also, like, I think, like, from the themes and everything, it's pretty, like, explicitly, like, feminist. Or maybe, if not feminist, just, like... Neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like there's definitely some like uh, stuff in the third book that I'm not so sure about, but that's for the third book. Um. One thing that I really liked in this chapter is when Sa'adar is trying to like sow discord between Etta and Brig, and he's like, "Are you in charge here and not Brig?" 
And instead of it working, Brig just like cackles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Brig's like, oh, you think I'm in control here. Okay. <laughs> nice one. Cool. Also, like, it shows his loyalty to Kenneth, too, because there's no way in his mind that he would ever consider himself in charge of, like, this whole ship. He's just, like, sailing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Like, I think they explicitly mentioned, right, that, like, he just recently got this position of command. He's never been, like, a leader on a ship before. Yeah, he can't read or anything like that. Yeah, like, he doesn't even know how to get to... Wherever they were going to go to get supplies Holy because they lost the Marietta. Yeah, because they lost the Marietta. So he's like new, new to that role. Yeah. And Edda's definitely displayed her dominance throughout her entire time on Kenneth's ship. Like, there is no doubt in anybody's mind that she is the boss. It's interesting how much... Um, attitude can play a part because she's the only woman on this ship but no one would ever dare touch her because a because they like respect Kenneth, but also for her own like ferocity but like she would just kill them yeah but like when malta's the only woman on a ship she's like has to tell all of them that she's her period all the time so they don't like assault her yeah it's a difference of the crew as well, because she's on the ship full of, like, Chalcidians and Edda's with pirates, and pirates, I guess, are better behaved, but... And I think also oh. age, too, because Edda is older and, like, experienced. Like, she knows what it's like because she was in the whorehouse and, like, the brothel and stuff like that, so she's lived through the hard times and knows how to, like, fight and survive and I think even since the last book, we've seen Etta, like, really grow into, like, this very tough, fierce woman. Because when the, like, two, like, random pirates or whatever are in the brothel, like, roughing her up and stuff, like, it takes Kenneth beating them up first and then, like, almost losing a fight for her to like step up and do stuff and now she's very much like aggressive instead of defensive yeah that's true i'm so excited for like the conversation between her and Windrow, where she she's like you're being stupid like you need to change your philosophy on life Also, while we're still talking about Edda, um, I made the comparison that Sadar is sort of like the leader of the Dai Li from Avatar, um, where he's like, I'm going to manipulate all of them, and I'm going to like have a seat at the table. And it's like, no, dude, like no one takes you seriously. Mm-hmm. And y'all were like, that makes Edda Azula. And it's like, I guess it does. For sure. Etta does have the, like, angry, chaotic energy that Azula has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Kenneth has her cunning, like, drive for power, for sure. 
I and don't. And it also has it. her like, I trust nobody, and mm-hmm. I'm like, and it's I'm severely mentally ill. Loyal to no one. Yeah. Um, I guess shifting over to, like, the actual healing scene with Wintrow and Kennet, um, at the very start of it, when they're talking about how Kyle had had a medicine box and had, like, uh, what do you call it, uh, like, pain relievers? Yeah. And didn't give it to Wintrow when Wintrow needed to cut off his finger? I wish we had, like, like, there's so much going on and we don't have time to dwell on that, but, like, god, Kyle is such an asshole. Kyle is a monster. Oh my god, his baby. Like, I think about if, like, my dog had to go through something like that, and I had, like, medicine for him, I would, like, I'd be in danger of giving him too much, because I'd be too worried. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, Kyle's a child. And he's like, eh, fuck him. He can cut off his finger without pain meds. It's the manly thing to do. Right. But he won't even be the one to cut the finger off, even when Wintrow, like, calls him out to do it. Mm -hmm. It's really lucky that Wintrow has Vivacia as, like, the the skill pain relief. And then Kyle gets mad at him for not, like, acting in pain enough. (laughs) So he wants to see his son suffer. Kyle is ridiculous. He wanted, yeah, he wants it to be a lesson of like, you are stupid and you made a mistake and now you're going to suffer the consequences. And it's like, nope. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the, like, amputation, something happens with, like, Kenneth where he, like, gets too much in pain. Like, his leg bursts open or something, like, the the, the wounds and all of that stuff. And yeah. there's a, a sentence that, like, Wintrow, it's, like, from Wintrow's point of view, and it's, like, he lost his identity in it. He could only stare dumbly at the whore, wondering why she was doing this to him. And, like, Kenneth's pain is so strong, and already his connection with Vivacia is strong enough that it, like, overrode Wintrow's thoughts, and he, like, became Kenneth for a minute. Yep. And I just thought that was so wild. Especially because, like, you know that it's Kenneth's thoughts in Wintrow's body because Wintrow has never once thought of Etta as a whore and I don't think he even knew that she was before so it's like all it feels like they're really making it obvious that it's the skill because this reminded me so much of when Fitz like skill dreamed into King Shrewd and Mm -hmm. was just like is this me? wait I'm having these thoughts but they aren't mine and it's just like Yeah. Yep. The amputation scene is really gross. It is so graphic. I forgot how graphic it is. 
Hob does, like, there's another thing that's really gross and graphic and farseer. Like that, where it's like, how did she know how to describe that so well? I don't remember what it is anymore, but she's really good at being really gross. Yes. <laughs> the fact that she writes about, like, the muscles and tendons, like, moving around still, like, ugh. I could throw up just thinking about it. I hated that. It was so gross. But it was so well done, which is like, I'm very impressed with her, but also I don't ever want to read that section again. Thank you. The part that really gave me the ick was when, like, he cuts with the knife, and then when he gets to the bone, he has to saw through the bone. And then he, like, finishes sawing through the bone and then realizes he's, like, sawing into the leg. And then Ew. he's like, oh, no, that's not a clean cut. And then he, like has to yank the saw out of like the mush i know so gross that when he like put his hand on kenneth's leg his like fingers and stuff squished in the skin and like because it's all dead and decaying like oh my god it's all so gross it's so y'all remember this stuff i be i be reading it and then one one word goes through my eyes and then out the brain (laughs) (laughs) that part i just read last night so it's fresh for me i don't think they're like Kenneth's leg. it's so gross it's really gross yeah and i thank goodness i'm just gonna say this i'm so glad that vivacia didn't eat his rotted leg <laughs> i'm so glad that yeah. he threw it over and the serpent got it and not vivacia because oh my god that would be so gross it might be the thing I'm thinking of might not be in Farseer. It might be when Wintrow cuts his own finger off. Because that part's really detailed and, like, long and gross, too. Yeah, it definitely is gross. And why does she eat it? Like, she she grabbed like, like, a, a rural, like, she had, like, a rural upbringing. I kind of feel like maybe there was, like, an accident or something. Where oh, she yeah, could have, like, like, I don't know. I think I talked about this. There, there was something in Farseer where this came up. I'm pretty sure, but I'm sure that something gross happened then too. It's like it feels <laughs> it feels like a little too detailed to just be like research. Well, and so many horrible things happen to Fitz, like the arrow wound and stuff is what I'm thinking about, and like how it like tugs and pulls at him, and like how he's always aware of it. Like that's not something I would remember or like know to write about and like keep going with. And I feel like there are other types of serious injuries where she sort of, like, glosses over them. Like, the stuff that happens to the fool in Connie Man. Like, we just, we, we know, like, like, we sort of get, like, the outline where it's, like, back's been cut off, tongue is gone. But, like, there's not that, like, visceral level of detail. Mm-hmm. You can, like, look up stuff on youtube like i know before i had my shoulder surgery my mom and i made the mistake of google of looking that surgery up on youtube which like never do that if you're gonna have surgery never look it up on youtube before you go in for surgery um but i wonder if she like watched videos of like an amputation or something because it's detailed enough that it's like yeah you could read about what happens but like it feels you like have to see it to describe it. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. I can't even imagine. I got queasy 
during the like when I first watched <laughs> I'm bringing it back to Twilight when I first watched Breaking Dawn and like Bella is baby burst out of her baby yes I got queasy just watching that I cannot even imagine watching like a real life amputation I would throw up all over it would I just can't handle that stuff we we turned the video of the surgery off very quickly and it wasn't even like a cut open it was like um there's like four poles and they go in with like these poles and they're like moving them around and we were like oh 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 turn it off yeah. yeah, about thirty yeah. seconds. <laughs> I could not do that. Anyways, all of you are welcome for uh, for all of this uh, graphic medical description. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck! Yeah, I think fortunately this is like the last like really disgusting thing until like Winfrey gets messed up. And even that is like more like, oh no, he's bubbled up. Oh, it also is really gross that he uses Kenneth's hair as thread. That's come up before. Like I think Wintro maybe uses his own hair as thread, but like as a person who hates loose hair, like it grosses me out so much. Like that's the thing that will make me vom. Really? Yeah, like using it as thread is like. Ugh. I thought it was so smart. I'm like, you know, that actually kind of makes sense. I wonder if that works in real life. No, <laughs> I think it does, right? Because like the idea is that you're, the your issue with other stitches is that like your body rejects them. Mm -hmm. Measures to avoid that. Again, I am not a doctor, so don't fucking. None of us are clearly. Cannot <laughs> be though, Like, is is his hair? long enough and like how do you tie it off because it was like oh Etta gave him more Ken of Kenneth's hair for thread you just like group it up together and then like tie it in a tiny knot at the end like I don't get it well so my uncle's a paramedic like firefighter so I ask him like whenever I think of random things that I'm like I don't know this but I don't want to google so I ask him and when you're like Sewing up somebody, like when they have a cut and you're supposed to do stitches, you do it like each little thing is its own knot. So like you tie oh, one. It's not, so it's you not like clothes where you're doing the right. same thread. Okay. Like you do each one separately. But with with Wintro and the leg, I picture it being like, you know, the end of like a hot dog or a sausage where it's like a pinch at the end. I imagine him like going in and like <laughs> making it a little circle sewing. That's how I pictured it. So like kind of put a little sausage leg. <laughs> that's definitely not how it's described, but that's how I'm choosing to picture it from now on. That is totally how I pictured it. And like I like imagine it being like, you know, like those like circle pillows that have the button in the middle where they're like oh yeah any things i was like so it's like nice and pleated on the sides and stuff like it looks really fancy <laughs> that was how i pictured winter summing it up i'm sure that's not correct but that's what i pictured he put pleats into kenneth's like extra leg flesh that he it makes it look nice yeah it's, you know, it does, I know. He's an artiste. <laughs> <laughs> of course. 
So that was uh, my picturing of it. Uh, I love Thank it. You, you needed <laughs> Like, genuinely. Okay, I don't think we're going to top Kenneth's uh, sausage pleated <laughs> pillow leg. So, I think that's as good a note as any to end on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Um, and we'll be back now to our weekly schedule. Um, this will probably be coming out on Tuesday, but expect regular episodes on um, every Monday otherwise. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And... See you next time. Bye. Bye.